This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Santita Jackson Show, January 8th. 2024. I'm still wishing everybody a happy new year and a special uh, shout out of love to my brother, Congressman Jonathan Jackson. It was his birthday yesterday. Yay, yay, yay. George Bliss. It was his birthday on Saturday. Yay, 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 yay to all you January babies. Sending you all so much love today. George Bliss indeed is responsible for me being here on WCBT and I will be forever grateful to my dear, dear friend, we all call him Cousin George because he is family to all of us. Hey, everybody, let's talk about this peace summit that we're going to be having at Rainbow Push. The 12th and the 13th, Friday and Saturday, Cornell West will be there on Friday giving a speech. Senator Janita Turner will be there uh, speaking, interacting. Hundreds of people are coming, and we want you to participate virtually, but we want you to be there in person. There's nothing like being in community and in fellowship with one another. We're going to be at the Rainbow Push headquarters at 930 East 50th Street, 930 East 50th Street, starting Friday. Get on over there around 9 o'clock in the morning. It is going to be something fantastic as we talk about peace. Peace is possible. Peace is feasible, and peace is what we are pushing for. But today, let's also talk about the international uh, courts. South Africa is taking Israel to the well to the UN International uh, Court uh, of Justice, and they're charging Israel with genocide. That's a pretty serious charge. It's tough to prove, but they are gathering a coalition of countries all around the world who are supporting it. So I was going to talk about that. What are the implications of that? Of this African country, which is becoming a superpower on the world stage. What does it mean to have them do that? So, and I hope that you'll be attending the Martin Luther King breakfast. Uh, we're going to have Reverend Jeanette Wilson talking about that. Push Excel has raised tens of millions of dollars and we've sent thousands of kids to school. That is what this breakfast does in part. We hope that you will be there. She'll be talking with us about that at the bottom of the hour. And then we'll be talking about the Middle East and uh, how we can get peace uh, in a place uh, where there is no peace and that. A conflict between two people, an army, and a people, because it's really not a war. War is between armies. That's not what this is. You have the Israeli army and the Palestinian people. Well, now it's becoming a regional conflict. And with American ships over there, it will become a global conflict if we're not careful. We can do something about that, everybody. I'm Santita Jackson coming to you from WCPT 820 the nation's largest progressive talk radio station. I want to hear from you today at 773-763-9278-773-763 WCPT. What's really on your mind this year? We are just around the corner from the caucuses. I want to know what your thoughts are. Who do you think is going to win? What do you want President Biden to talk about. Let's get to some of these headlines, everybody. Did you see the Golden Globes last night? Well, I didn't either, but there were some winners for everybody. But first, leaders in Congress reached a deal that would avert a government shutdown. The $1.66 trillion agreement reached yesterday preserves funding for key domestic and social safety net programs despite Republicans' demands for cuts. 
The FAA grounded Boeing 737-9 MAX planes after a mid-air accident. What an accident. An Alaska Airlines plane door just opened up and blew out mid-flight. Oh, 171 Boeing planes were grounded for inspection on Saturday, causing dozens of flight cancellations. The Supreme Court will decide whether Donald Trump can run for president. Justices will rule on whether Trump can appear on primary ballots or should be disqualified over his role in the January 6, 2021 attack they announced on Friday. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin failed to disclose a lengthy hospitalization. The Pentagon chief didn't tell the White House for days that he had been in intensive care beginning January 1st. What do you think about that, everybody? Call me at 773-763-9278. Did he have an obligation to to share? Wow. Nobody knew. Not even the president, everybody. Wow. In Chicago today, we'll have a high of 36 degrees. It will be cloudy. Minneapolis, St. Paul, 29 degrees. It will be cloudy. The Packers, 17. The Bears, 9. The Lions, 30. The Vikings, 20. In the NBA, the Bulls will be facing off against the Hornets tonight. And the Mavericks pulled out one against the Timberwolves, 115 to 108. In hockey, Chicago four, the Flames three, and the Wild will host the Stars. Those are the headlines. We've got our gospel sister. Happy New Year coming out of Mexico. Having a fabulous time. Got a tan. All the other great stuff. Our gospel I like sister. That. Pam Moore's walking on. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, Happy New Year. How nice. But this is what this is what married folk do. I'm not mad at you, girl. <laughs> Oh, you I so said, God. look at her. Well, she said, oh, well, girl, I'm going to Cabo. <laughs> I said, well, go, well, go ahead. Because her radio voice, everybody, yeah, that's her so real bad. voice. <laughs> oh, we love, we love you, Pam Morris. Well, it's an happy new year to you. And you deserve it all. Thank you, thank you. Well, hello there, everybody. Hello, everybody. Today is going to be uh, affirmations for the new year because we, and wishes, because we are Nine, no, I'm sorry, eight days in to 2024. This is the day that the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. We are inside, everybody, the second week of a brand new year with new beginnings, new opportunities, new challenges, and new successes, and new reasons to feel grateful, thankful, and blessed. And let me repeat that one more time. We are inside the second week of a brand new year, new beginnings, new opportunities, new challenges, new successes, and new reasons to feel grateful and blessed and thankful. I am wishing you all the, all the wonderful things. I'm not talking about bad things, all the wonderful things, the promise that the new year brings. And you know what that promise is, everybody? Joy, love, Mm. laughter, all that is beautiful and all that is peaceful. The Lord is our shepherd and we shall not want. I ask that you let the love of God cover you. I ask that you let the love of God cover you and not just you, but you and yours. That's your family, your friends during this wonderful year, because that's what we're claiming it. We're claiming a wonderful year. It's day eight. And may the peace 
and joy that only our creator can give you. Fill the corner of your world. Fill the corner of your world with more in 2024. Let me add this to you this morning. May your heart be light. May your days be bright. And your year be just right. It's 2024, everybody. I'm wishing you a year ahead that's as bright and hopeful as the sunrise we experience. I'm wishing you a year, 2024, filled with miracles. Miracles and major joys. May all your dreams, all of your dreams, everybody, take flight in 2024. A fresh start. A year full of exciting possibilities. Remember, we are out with the old. Please remember we're out with the old. And we're in with the new. We must move forward, everybody. And last but not least, kindness doesn't cost a thing. Yet it is the richest gift that you can give. That's it. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Doesn't what is Ashford and Simpson saying? It don't cost you nothing. Don't cost you nothing. Don't cost you nothing. Just go on and be kind. What did my pastor, Reverend Clay Evans, say? It's nice to be nice. Just go on and do it, y'all. Just go on and be nice. Be nice. I love you, Pam Morris Walton, of course. I love you. The name of your book and how can we get it? Okay, it's 57 Days to Wait for a New Heart. I'm speaking to you, everybody, with Mario's heart. Seven years in, no rejection, no infection. Read my story. 57 Days to Wait for a New Heart sparks a spiritual journey of faith and love. PamMoreSpeaks.com if you want it autographed. If not, just go to Amazon. They're running a sale. That's it. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Send up some prayers for all of us. God bless you. Love you. Dr. Shanina Knighton, infection. I love you, love you, love you. Dr. Shanina Knighton, infection preventionist. We are into this new year, new beginnings, new ways of being healthy, new ways of doing things. How are you today? I'm doing good, thank you. How are you? You tell me. How are you? What is on your mind today? So I think it's important for everyone to know that we are in the second largest COVID wave since the beginning of the pandemic. Um, What does that mean right now? So even though it's not widely advertised on the news about what is occurring, hospitalizations are up right now. So my question is, why are hospitalizations up? I'm going to get Dr. Knighton right back. And why are hospitalizations up with vaccinations up? Why are hospitalizations up? What are we doing? What are we not doing? What else do we need to do to protect ourselves? COVID, we now see, is survivable. It is. But what we have to do is boost our immune systems. That's something that Dr. Knighton has been telling us for the longest time. 
We have to eat the right foods. We have to do the things Can't that be. we need to do. Yes, yes, yes. Now, I was just letting, I was asking the question, <clears throat> you know, since we right. have this big wave of COVID, how is it that we have that people have been, well, they've been vaccinated, but, you know, in September of 2021, they changed the definition of vaccine. Vaccines used to mean that we were inoculated against as disease now, they're saying, well, no, this that's not what this vaccine did. And I think that because many of us are still functioning on the old definition, and, and the definition was changed, quite frankly, to suit this particular medicine. Um, maybe we're not as careful as we are, full of care as we ought to be. Why is there this, this, this resurgence? Um, so, one, I am going to attribute it to being too lax. We've gotten back lax. Um, I have been mentioning for years um, at this point that my concern is that people would not incorporate infection prevention into their toolkit. And I've said, unlike you, Santita, that the minute that it fell off the radar of the media was no longer a priority with funding, was no longer a priority when it came down to the news feed, that's when people would start to suffer the most. So just to give you a couple of uh, statistics, okay? Literally by midweek, and we're talking about just in the United States alone, rates of infections are going to reach approximately 2 million people per day. And we're talking about one in 24 people that will have uh, COVID. So up to 100 million Americans that can potentially be impacted by this wave because we don't have any infection prevention and control measures in place. And just to also help you understand statistically what's happening, hospitalizations have been climbing so fast since the beginning of since the beginning of November are and up more than twofold. So we're talking about close to 35,000 COVID admissions for the week ending in December 30th of 2023. And we're approaching those same highs that we would have uh, seen last winter. See, there's something I don't understand. With boosts, with, 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 the, with, the, with people getting boosted, with people getting vaccinated, why is it that most people who go to the hospital have been boosted, have been vaccinated? What are we not doing? Well, we have to ask, when were they boosted and when were they vaccinated? Because a lot of people got the first round of vaccines and boosters and said um, two and done or I'm one and done, depending on the vaccine that they got and depending on if they went back for that booster. There was, let's say, another vaccine series that came out to address the anticipated variant, um, which was that J1 um, variant. So it's a new series of boosters that are out, and I can tell you that the uptake of boosters amongst Americans have been very, very low. And so there is a perception that people are boosted and are vaccinated, but that is not the case against this current strain. I know I said it before, even back when we were in, let's say, 2021 um, and 2022, I was upset because I was like, how is it that we're using old tricks on a new dog or teaching old tricks to, you know, new tricks to an old dog, however that go. But was just saying that it wasn't matching up because why are we using something that's already transcended and the variants no longer exist? 
Well, now this is an instance of where they actually anticipated the variant, but people, because they were still getting vaccinated with an old vaccination series that had limited effectiveness because it did not uh, treat the most current strain, even though it was encouraged to be able to get it, now they're in a situation now where they don't want the vaccine. So the uptake is very low. Because let me jump in, because COVID-19 is from 2019. And so when people, so I think that Big Pharma has to bear some responsibility for this because they were selling old stuff for new tricks. And they knew that. And they knew that. We knew knew that. that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And there's no way to get I am not anti-anything, everybody. I'm just saying, you know, the thing is, if I have a cold, I do not need chemo. Hmm? I got a cold. We're better yet. I need cold we medicine. Talk about right? the, yeah, but we could talk about the flu vaccine, right? Like, you won't use a 2020 flu vaccine in 2023 or 2024. Okay. You're going to use what's ever most up-to-date at that time. Now, don't get me wrong. I understand why it was being done. We have to know that that emergency use authorization is why a lot of stuff was done out of sync and out of the ordinary. But when we think about unintended consequences, yes, the rates are down right now for these new for the new current sets of boosters because of people's mistrust in terms of the effectiveness of ones in the past and them still getting sick. And when I say getting sick, I'm not saying that it prevents COVID. I'm saying did it reduce the severity of symptoms for individuals that received, let's say, the outdated vaccine in one of the most present years. But I'm bringing this up even in current days because deaths have been trending upward, um, reaching over 1,600 for the week of even December 9th. So statistics are still being tracked, even though they're not being shared, even though the tracker for, let's say, the CDC, where it was weekly or the county ones that we have, have been disabled. It's important for people to know that this is still occurring. It is important for people to know that people are still short-staffed. We talk about this all the time, Santita, how even though there are 330 million people estimated in the U.S., there's less than 1 million hospital beds, and we don't have enough health care staff. So even if someone is, let's say, not concerned about COVID, not concerned about getting COVID or transmitting it, it's still knowing that if for whatever reason you have to go into the hospital for something else without infection prevention and control measures, there is a potential also that the individuals around you will be sick with COVID. Well, you know, I think there's a lot of things that need to happen on several fronts. I mean, the fact is we don't have enough hospital beds. For, we, that's not even that, that doesn't even get a one third of one percent of us in a hospital bed if something else like this happened again. So I just think it's there's some I think there's there's a rethink Americans need to have instead of using quotas to keep people out of the healthcare professions. We need to be figuring out how to find young people, and they might not be getting the educational tools that they need early on, but they can have the capabilities of becoming nurses and physicians and in the healthcare professions. We need to be finding them and training them. That's what they do in Cuba. They literally have a doctor on every block in Cuba. And they export doctors. We can't do that. We're trying to block them from getting imported. That's crazy. 
Absolutely. And then we have to look at what's going on in other places, too, because um, I know we talked about this before, um, Santita, in regards to school, right, and how we do our school year when we know how the cold season exists. And so just thinking through, instead, we keep on doing the same old thing instead of asking ourselves, if we know that cold seasons are going to surge around this time of year, why is there so much an emphasis in regards to, let's say, even children going to school this time of year? Or there not being more, let's say, flexible options, you know, maybe a hybrid model of, you know, maybe online and in person. So there are some strategies um, that we do need to think about that was occurring then, not to say that there we're fully going into them, but just to recognize what's going on right now. And no, people are like, well, we're going to get shut down again. We're going to do this. No, that may not necessarily be the case, but you should be worried about getting something potentially that you may not be protected from, either because you need carriage, you can't receive because of overcrowded hospitals, or because you need care and maybe can't afford it or don't recognize it in enough time? Mm. Well, you know, I think that should be part of the policy discussion that we have in 2024, the hybrid model for school, really sending, pushing our kids into school when people are really not well with the flu and colds and things like that. We need to look at some other options, and we need to look at educating um, the public. Infection prevention is the key, everybody. Dr. Shanina Knight and everybody, hey, Dr. Nina, H-E-Y-D-R-N-I-N-A, let's talk about the Push XL breakfast. Are you going to be coming to the MLK breakfast? It's one of the, one of the biggest in the country. Don't want you to miss it. And South Africa is taking Israel to the International Criminal Court. <laughs> they want them to be charged with genocide. Let's talk about it on the Santita Jackson Show. Back in just a minute. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody, you know what time it is. It is time for Dr. King's birthday. This is King Week, everybody. Um, many people are volunteering, but you know, Dr. King was about so much more than that. Not just volunteering, he had his life taken from him, he gave his life in service. Volunteering is one thing, but making a difference in people's lives is quite another. Let us do that. Let us do that. We hope that you'll be at the Peace Summit at Rainbow Push uh, on Friday and Saturday. Dr. Cornell West will be speaking there. Nina Turner will be speaking there. Jim Zogby will be speaking there, if not now. Jewish Voice for Peace. Um, the Muslim community will be there. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds upon hundreds of people have been registering. They want to be there. You can do it virtually. You can be with us virtually, but you should be there in person. And we also want you to be in person where? At the MLK Breakfast. It's one of the largest King celebrations in the United States. The Push for Excellence program of Rainbow Push, uh, started by Reverend Jackson more than 50 years ago, has sent thousands upon thousands of young people to college. Indeed, uh, they have put tens of millions of dollars into our schools 
to educate our children. The director of the Push for Excellence program is, the Push Excel program is, Reverend Jeanette Wilson, Esquire. How you doing, Reverend Wilson? We got this breakfast. What's going on? Good morning, Santita. I am so excited. Uh, this year, uh, this whole weekend, we are, as you indicated, celebrating the legacy of Dr. King. And when you think about Dr. King, you think about education, you think about scholarship, you think about uh, making sure that education is uh, provided to every child, equal, high-quality public education for every student. So our breakfast will highlight uh, some of our uh, Push Excel scholars. We will announce our new scholarships for 2024-2025, the Toyota Scholarship, which is a Jesse Jackson Fellow Scholars. They receive $25,000 a year for three years, guaranteed summer internships, and an opportunity at the close of, upon graduation, to possibly work at Toyota. In the last uh, three cohorts of students, they have all been offered jobs at Toyota. Ninety percent of them are working gainfully employed at Toyota upon graduation from college. Uh, We used to give... um, like a thousand scholarships a year, and we decided oh, over the last about 10 years ago to really streamline our scholarships so that we give students more support, more wraparound, more concentration on making sure that not only do they go to college, but they graduate with a skill that is employable. And so we've given <clears throat> several thousand students uh, scholarships. Also at the breakfast, we're going to highlight some of the Push Excel programs designed to uh, push our children to ex- towards excellence. Our oratorical scholars, some of them are really award-winning. Uh, one of our scholars has been at, at the Goodman Theater over the years uh, in their famous Scrooge program play. And so uh, we're showcasing our oratorical scholars. We're presenting our STEM program, science, technology, engineering, and math program. And, and, oh, you're going to hear some honorees that have done some outstanding things in multiple fields. Uh, one of the leading transplant doctors will be honored. We have Joakim Noah, who is being honored, not just because he's a great basketball player, great athlete, but because of his commitment to community. We have a young lady that's being honored. Her mother died of Santita early, well, late last year, suddenly. This young lady was on her way to college out of out of the city. She declined to leave the state and leave Chicago because she's going to not only go to college but care for two of her uh, younger brothers and sisters. That's uh, pushing for excellence beyond the odds. And um, we have Keon who will be performing at the breakfast. And the thing is, we are at Apostolic Church of God. Why? Because we wanted to bring our our uh, King breakfast back to the community where Dr. King spent uh, some time when he was in Chicago. And uh, I want to thank Dr. Brazier and Applesauce Church of God. They are so excited. They're welcoming us. And it's going to be a phenomenal, phenomenal program. We're trying to make sure our dollars remain in the black community. Also, well, I mean, now, before we get the fact to... that it's a first class, it's a first class facility. I mean, the thing is, I remember when my mother had Reverend Jackson's 65th birthday party. It was at the South Shore Cultural Center. We don't have to go downtown. I love going downtown, mm-hmm. but it's not a given. So there right. you have it. 
And and Dr. Brazier has always been a Bishop Brazier, Arthur Brazier, the founding pastor of Apostolic Church of God, was very connected to the movement, very supportive. And so we're we're not going to strangers, we're going home. Also, but this weekend, what is so significant about this weekend, Dr. King was a man of action. He was uh, against war. You remember the whole uh, Riverside speech on against the war in Vietnam? Well, this uh, this convening of a summit on Friday and Saturday at Rainbow Push headquarters really will help uh, people understand where is Gaza? Why is there an issue in Gaza between Gaza and Jerusalem? What does it mean? Jerusalem is not just a holy city for some people. Africa, <clears throat> African Americans, many of us travel back to Jerusalem because it's our homeland. We call it the Middle East the Middle East today because it was redrawn on, on maps. But the fact of the matter is, it's on the continent where we all originated from. And so we're going to have some information about uh, what's happening, how did it happen, why did it happen, and then we're going to have a call to action. Uh, not only are we going to have Dr. Cornell West, Dr. Frederick Douglass Haynes, our president will be here on Friday. You don't want to miss this. Young people are becoming engaged in the movement for humanitarian uh, <clears throat> humanitarian to address a humanitarian crisis like the war in Gaza and Jerusalem. And talk about why we must uh, have a ceasefire to save the children and our future. It's, it's going to be engaging. It's going to be informative. You don't want to miss it. You need to go to rainbowpush.org and register so that you can attend. It doesn't cost you anything. It costs you some time. It costs you some focus. And it's going to be one of the best uh, <clears throat> programs for the first of the year. We're starting our year out engaging and struggling, pushing against those forces that uh, refuse to I'll give equity to all people to make sure that all children have a safe environment to live in and to learn and a healthy environment. And so we're going to be talking about that ongoing. Well, you know, and amen to that, because the fact is now um, it has been projected and it is, it has sadly become true that the least that the most unsafe place in the world to be a child is in Gaza where Jesus grew up. Remember, Jesus was a Palestinian Jew. Think about that. That would be Jesus today. So think about that and come to the Rainbow Push, uh, Push Excel breakfast. Are there any tickets left? There are a few. You better hurry up and get yours, Santita. We want everyone there. I forgot to tell you. Radio Row. How? Oh, you just go to rainbowpush.org or call push 773-373-3366. Uh, we're doing everything electronically. Tickets are 150 per person, $1,500 per table. But also, uh, all of the radio stations that you listen to, like this one, will be in Radio Row at the breakfast. You don't want to miss it. Fantastic. It's going to be exciting. You you don't want to miss it. And, you know, Radio Row, but guess what? So many people will be there. And, you know, it, it really is a wonderful breakfast. Can't wait to see you there. Reverend Jeanette Wilson, may God bless you real good. Can't wait to speak with you throughout the week. Everybody call 773-FREEDOM. 
773 Freedom. We had a friend at the phone company when Operation Push opened more than 50 years ago, and they said, we got a number for you, 773 Freedom. Call there and go to rainbowpush.org and get one of these few remaining tickets. Let us talk about, thank you, Reverend Dr. Wilson, and thank you for that wonderful word on this Peace Summit. Let's talk about the Peace Summit. What is going on, everybody? Uh, How is it that 22,000-plus people have been killed? How is it that the killings are continuing? How is it that now they're saying if the bombs will get the Palestinians, the hunger, the malnutrition, the dehydration will get them? Now, mind you, it is important for us to note that prior to October 7th, food was rationed to Palestinians by Israel. They were given calorically a certain amount of food every day. Not enough. And then the humanitarian aid stopped. So they really got no food. So you have scabies, you have diarrhea, you have breastfeeding mothers who are malnourished, you have children who are malnourished, newborns who are dying. It is a horrific situation. So into the breach steps South Africa, which is now becoming the superpower. They joined, they're leading the BRICS nations. Um, they are um, really at the tip of the spear, if you will, in Africa, as Africa moves into preeminence in the world. And they're saying that, you know what? We charge you, Israel, for genocide. What does that mean? What does that mean? And how and what is Israel doing? Well, they are now instructing their embassies all around the world to appeal to the diplomats and to the leaders in the countries where they have embassies remaining. Quash this. Let's talk about it with Ari Blumkatz, executive editor of In These Times magazine. Of course, they'll be covering the Peace Summit at Rainbow Push. And um, and Attorney Robert Patillo, WAOK, part of the national leadership team of Rainbow Push. Let me start with you, Attorney Robert Patillo. Charging South Africa, South Africa has taken the lead, and there is now a global coalition coming together uh, to charge Israel with genocide. Um, hmm, that's a big deal. And now Israel is pushing back. They are. They have a campaign of their own to stop it. Talk to us. What's going on, Robert Attila? Well, what I think we're seeing is uh, a, a switching of the poles from a uh, unipolar world uh, to a multipolar world, where we have to start, again, uh, respecting the other centers of power, both politically and economically and now diplomatically, uh, to no longer just be in Washington, D.C., but we have to understand that uh, diplomatic power now is happening, is coming out of Beijing. For example, earlier last year, you saw a peace agreement be negotiated in Beijing between Iran and Saudi Arabia. Uh, after a decades-long uh, Cold War that existed between those two parties, uh, we're seeing Moscow become a, a major uh, actor in the uh, in the developing world, if you would call it, or the global south, primarily, primarily because when the Ukraine war started and sanctions uh, were put against uh, the uh, the Russian Federation, they had to find new markets, and very much similar to what happened during the Cold War, um, they began working with all the quote-unquote pariah nations, all the nations that um, the Western governments had turned their back on, and they have worked together to create a coalition of economic uh, power that is not dependent on uh, London, not dependent on Berlin, not dependent on Washington, D.C. Uh, with that, uh, nations like uh, uh, nations such as South Africa 
we now have uh, additional levels of credibility in the international community because what nation better can understand a uh, oppressed minority group being the victims of a genocide uh, than a nation in South Africa, which was the victims of apartheid uh, and colonial and colonialism. And if you're going to put it to a true and honest vote around the nation uh, and take out of consideration the conceptualization of veto power for countries like America and Great Britain, uh, most of these nations that were colonized by Europeans would agree. When you see uh, black and brown people being blown up by the tens of thousands um, with no real justification for it taking place other than we want to get rid of terrorism, um, every nation on earth knows you cannot uh, bomb an idea out of existence. You cannot bomb um, the desire for freedom out of existence. You cannot bomb away the uh, desire for freedom as it would exist. So what, we're, what America is now at risk of is by having complete alignment with the war crimes of Netanyahu and his regime, it makes us complicit. And then when we go to these nations to uh, form the next coalition of the willing, as George Bush called it um, prior to the invasion of Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, they're going to begin saying no far more often. We've seen it happen, uh, happen in recent years where America would ask to use uh, airspace or Saudi Arabia to launch uh, uh, attacks into Iran. And they would just simply tell us, no, find a different route. We do not want to be part uh, of your coalition. And now economically, I can turn to Russia. I can turn to Beijing. I can turn to Mumbai or New Delhi. Uh, I can turn to Qatar for the financing that I would normally get from Washington, which weakens our hand internationally. The, the last several years of America first foreign policy, I think we're going to be trying to reverse for the next 50 years uh, because of the, the, the gap that it created. And now we're running behind the ball. Uh, when you're looking at the Belt and Road Initiative, when you're looking at the infrastructure investments from China, uh, when you're looking at the uh, financial centers of Qatar that are uh, rising, uh, where you no longer have to go to Wall Street or to the IMF for development money, you can go to uh, oil uh, oil rich nations to do so. Uh, and America has to reevaluate the way that our foreign policy works, uh, because otherwise we're going to be on the wrong side of history for the second half of this century. Hmm. Ari, what's your assessment of what we're looking at? I mean, South Africa, I mean, there is now, Israel is so worried that they are now pulling together, as South Africa is pulling together a global coalition to support the charge of genocide. Israel is now, they have a campaign of their own in various countries around the world where they have embassies. Ari Blumkatz in These Times magazine. Uh, good morning, Confida. Uh, good morning, uh, Robert. Um, you know, I'm a bit emotional this morning, honestly. Um, I woke up early and read the 84-page um, application um, from South Africa to the International Court of Justice, and it's horrifying. It's the most horrifying thing I've read in so long. And horrifying? What do, you, what do you mean it's horrifying? What, what did you see that was so horrifying? So some of it is, you know, what they lay out specifically as the accusations against Israel. And it's things that we've known to be true and that Palestinians have been shouting since the very beginning um, of the uh, assault on Gaza and that, you know, organizers and activists and so many on the left have been shouting for so long right now. You know, one of the things that the application says is that Israel is, quote, engaged in killing Palestinians in Gaza, including Palestinian children in large numbers is causing serious bodily and mentally, mental harm to Palestinians in Gaza, including Palestinian children, 
and is inflicting on them conditions of life intended to bring about their destruction as a group, and that those conditions include expulsions from homes and mass displacement alongside the large-scale destruction of homes and residential areas, the deprivation of access to adequate food and water, the deprivation of access to adequate medical care, the deprivation of access to adequate shelter, clothes, hygiene, sanitation, and the destruction of life of the Palestinian people in Gaza, as well as imposing measures intended to prevent Palestinian birth. And we know all of this to be true, and the reason we know all of it to be true is because not only have we seen it with our own eyes, not only has it been covered extensively, but because Israel's leaders, because its government, because its uh, uh, military tells us this directly. They say this directly. These are the words that come out of their mouth. And so, you know, it's quite, you know, of course, like absurd uh, in the theater of global politics for Israel's governments and government ministers like Itamar Ben-Gavir and Motrich and others and Netanyahu himself to make such genocidal comments, to say such genocidal things and then to enact those genocidal strategies and tactics and then run around the world claiming that they're not doing the exact things that they said they're doing. And, you know, there's a certain Ari, level of... Let me ask you this. That. Are they just drunk on power? I mean, I don't, I don't understand what's going on. Yeah, I, I think that's a good question. And, you know, it's something I've been, you know, trying to think about since this began. And, you know, one of the things that I think is really clear here and is deeply upsetting and deeply horrifying is that I think we're dealing with a government and military that is incredibly bloodthirsty and has been bent on the ethnic cleansing of the Palestinian people for 75 years. And, you know, that's one of the things that the South Africa application says as well, is that you cannot completely disconnect what's happening right now from the broader context of Israel's conduct towards Palestinians over the 75-year-long apartheid. Uh, over the 56-year-long occupation of Palestinian territories, over the 16-year-long blockade of Gaza. And, you know, we've seen serious violations of international law and war crimes, you know, over decades and decades and decades, uh, including what South Africa claims are grave breaches of the Fourth Geneva Convention, uh, as well as other crimes uh, against humanity. And... I think, you know, what we're dealing with is a government and military that is very much bent on the ethnic cleansing of Palestinians and has been for a very long time. And it is part of the overall project um, uh, of the state, of the modern Israeli state. Where do you see this going? You're a lawyer, Attorney Robert Petillo. Uh, coming up, we've got Suzanne uh, Daly from the president of the National Lawyers Guild. I do hope that you all will stay on because she's part of this coalition, this growing coalition that's international in scope. Uh, they are pushing uh, for Israel to uh, for Israel to be charged, not just charged, but to actually sit in court. And I think Israel is going to do something unusual. They're actually going to go to court, right, Robert? 
I, I believe so, because what we've seen in situations such as Russia, where Vladimir Putin was charged by the international courts with war crimes, is most nations just simply ignore it. Uh, it's really it, it part of the problem with the international system of justice that has existed in for the last century, is that it only applies to developing third world and poor nations. Uh, poor leaders get charged with war crimes and have to sit for tribunal. Uh, George W. Bush can kill as many Iraqis as he feel like, uh, feels like, and there's never really any consequences for that. And this is what many uh, nations across the world have said, that why should they be part of this international system that doesn't apply uh, to uh, to larger nations? But Israel believes they can plead their case in court. Uh, but I implore people that if you want to know what the true plan uh, of the Netanyahu regime, because I don't, uh, I don't want people to blame uh, the current actions of the IDF on either the entirety of the Israeli community or even the entirety of the Jewish community within the diaspora. This is very much a Netanyahu project. Uh, this is very much something that Netanyahu has talked about doing for the past 30 to 40 years. Uh, if you look at his re-election campaign last year, um, he campaigned on this, or not last year, before last now, he's forgetting 2024, but he campaigned on exactly this. When he put in place his judicial reforms, it would give himself the power to exterminate uh, the people in Gaza. And if you want to know what Netanyahu really wants to do, listen to his speeches in Hebrew. Uh, just find a translation of his Hebrew speeches to the uh, Knesset uh, on the campaign trail. He says one thing in English to international communities. He says very different things in Hebrew when he thinks no one else mm-hmm. is paying attention. And he has campaigned directly on this uh, on this thought, this uh, this belief that is Israel's almost manifest destiny uh, not to go back to the 1967 lines, not to go back to the 1947 lines, uh, but to go back to the 2000 BC lines. They, Netanyahu wants to line from the historical kingdoms of Israel and Judah. He has said so on many occasions. Uh, he believes the, when he, the, he needs to be restoring the, uh, the Israel to its territorial lines uh, before the Roman Empire. Uh, and if he is allowed to do so, it means nothing but continuous warfare in the Middle East and the continued subjugation and destruction of the Palestinian people. And you will think that folks will realize that they've been fighting for 75 or 80 years and are not going to give up. And we have to support the Palestinian people people and their cries for uh, for safety and freedom uh, and self-determination, because if we allow that right of, ju- of justice and freedom to be extinguished, we can no longer stand for justice and freedom in the rest of the world. Hmm. Everybody, let's talk about this global coalition and this peace summit that we're having in Chicago. Uh, Cornell West will be there. Nina Turner will be there. Reverend Jesse Jackson is convening it. He'll be there. Jim Zogby will be there. In these times, magazine will be there. So many will be there looking for peace. It's possible. We need to talk about what's happening. We need to talk about what's going to be happening at the International Court of Justice, the United Nations. Israel plans to fight this. Can they? Should they? Will they win? These cases are incredibly difficult to prosecute. Let's talk about it on the Santita Jackson Show, right? CPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station at AM 950 Radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota. Back in just a minute. We can change the world, change the world, change the world. We can change the world, we can change the world, change the world. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Let's change the world. 
Hey, everybody. January 8th. 2024. Happy New Year. Still sending much love to my brother, Congressman Jonathan Jackson. It was his birthday yesterday and George Bliss, who got me on the air here. Cousin George, sending all the January babies so much love today. I am Santita Jackson coming to you from WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station and AM 950 radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota. We're streaming live on WCPT820.com and AM950radio.com. Morning stars, never fear. I will be back up on StreamYard, YouTube, and Facebook within a matter of days. We're doing some upgrades because, as you know, I'm still moving. I'm almost done, almost done. Uh, But there's some technical things that we need to work out at my new place. Let us talk about this peace summit at Rainbow Push. Why are we calling for peace? Because everyone in corporate media is calling for war. And you would think that the American people want war. No, American people, more than 60% of us are calling for a ceasefire, and yet only 11% of the Congress are voting for it. Why? Because of money, because of influence. And we need to talk about that. We need to take the bull by the horns and have uh, the tail should not wag the dog. The dog should wag the tail. Wag the tail. We are the dogs here, everybody. We're the, we're the big ones here. We need to get this right. So, Cornell West, I want you to join him. Senator Nina Turner, White McKee, Reverend Jesse Jackson, James Zogby, um, if not now, Jewish Voice for Peace, In These Times Magazine, and so on. And so many people, hundreds of people, will be descending upon the Rainbow Push headquarters on Friday. Go to rainbowpush.org for information. We want you to be there. You can be there virtually, but we want you to be there in person. There's something about being in community, everybody. And we're so excited today to be talking about this peace summit and and why it's so important that we all gather there. And what about this international coalition to stop genocide in Palestine? That's right. It's a, an international coalition. Um, part of our one of their American partners is the National Lawyers Guild. We have their president with us today. We're so excited to have her. We're going to talk about this push by South Africa to charge, that's right, to charge Israel with genocide. And Israel's going to do something really interesting. They're rejecting the case, of course, as baseless, but unlike previous cases, they will be present at the International Tribunal. What will that mean? They'll, in, they'll in, appear in front of the court. They're signatory to the Geneva Convention, so the Genocide Convention, so we got a lot to talk about. Call us at 773-763-9278, 773-763-9278. Now on to a few headlines. Leaders in Congress reached a deal that would avert a government shutdown. $1.6 trillion. This agreement was reached yesterday, preserving funding for key domestic and social safety net programs despite Republican demands for cuts. The FAA grounded Boeing 737-9 MAX planes after a mid-air accident, and what an accident it was. An Alaska, an Alaska Airlines planes door plug blew out mid-flight. Blew out mid-flight. A little boy in the back, the mother was screaming for her child. They went and they found the child shirtless, freezing, but still alive. Thank God for that. 171 Boeing planes were grounded for inspection on Saturday. The Supreme Court will decide whether or not Donald Trump can run for president. Justices will rule on whether Trump can appear on primary ballots or should be disqualified over his role in the January 6, 2021 attack they announced on Friday. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin is facing a lot of criticism because he failed to disclose a lengthy and serious 
hospitalization. The Pentagon chief didn't tell the White House for days that he had been in intensive care beginning January 1st, following an elective medical procedure last month. Top cabinet officials nor officials normally disclose this kind of information, including their whereabouts, uh, but that didn't happen this time. Austin Frisk Forson says he could have done a better job. A high-impact storm is set to hit central and eastern states. In fact, it's now wintertime in Chicago and Minneapolis, St. Paul, Oppenheimer, and succession dominated the Golden Globes, and the U.S. launched its first spacecraft to the moon in more than 50 years. Call me at 773-763-9278-773-763 WCPT in Chicago. We're expecting a high of 36 degrees today. It will be cloudy. Minneapolis, St. Paul, 29 degrees and cloudy. The Packers, 17. The Bears, 9. The Lions, 30. The Vikings, 20 in the NFL. In the NBA, the Bulls will be facing off against the Hornets tonight. And the Mavericks are triumphant over the Timberwolves, 115-108. to In the NHL, Chicago, well, they bested the Flames 4-3. to And the Wild will host the Stars tonight. And those are the headlines on the San Peter Jackson Show. Call us at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT. Let's talk about peace in the Middle East. Let's talk about what's really happening, what's really, really happening with Israel and the ICJ. I mean, let's talk about this case that is taking them to the criminal court, the United Nations, everybody. They've been accused of an effort to intimidate judges ahead of these genocide hearings. They've been charged with genocide by South Africa. Who knows better about genocide than South Africa? Well, everybody, we've got a tremendous panel who can talk with us about this today, but we're going to be led by the president of the National Lawyers Guild. We're so honored to have this woman with us today, so honored to have her with us, joining Ari Bloomcats and Attorney Robert Patillo and Dwight McKee, Attorney Suzanne Adeli, the president of the National Lawyers Guild and part of the International Coalition to End the Genocide in Palestine. Welcome to the show, or should I say welcome home. Now you are home here. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. Tell me, what uh, what is Israel being charged with, and are these cases tough to prosecute? Israel is, is being charged with the crime of genocide, um, and it, the case is being brought um, to the World Court or the International Court of Justice, um, and it's one of the strongest institutions in the international legal order, um, and I think that, you know, there's a good chance uh, that there could be uh, a ruling based on this very, very strong complaint that the South Africans um, have drafted um, that uh, agrees uh, with what South Africa has laid out. Um, and our, our, our coalition um, formed before uh, South Africa um, filed this application, uh, but we um, thought that it was, it was a historic and, and welcome development uh, in the pursuit of, of peace and, and um, in our pursuit to the end of, of the genocide and the terror, really, that's been happening in Gaza. Um, and so we have been 
taking steps to encourage and put pressure on other governments around the world who are also party to the Genocide Convention to support South Africa's um, case by filing declarations of intervention. And so far, Malaysia, Turkey, and Bolivia uh, have taken steps to do that. Well, while South Africa, uh, this this is... Hmm. This is very, very interesting. Israel has been pushing back on these calls. They're calling them baseless, but they're doing something unusual, Attorney Adeli. Unlike in previous cases, they will be appearing before this international tribunal. Why is that noteworthy, and why are they doing that? I think, you know, it's, it's noteworthy because I think that they are... They're nervous about these developments, uh, which is significant, you know, because Israel has kind of like functioned for a very long time as an occupying power, as a settler colonial power uh, that has been very violent towards the indigenous population of the Palestinians. And um, they have done so for most of their existence with impunity. Um, And uh, what South Africa is doing is really kind of piercing, you know, piercing that impunity. Um, And, you know, it's not only that their complaint is um, is so strong, it's that that much of what Israel has been doing is really kind of been laid out um, for the world to see. And, 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 And there are very strong calls for, uh, for accountability, and Israel knows that they can't ignore this. Um, however, mm. you know, we, we've seen patterns in, um, in, in in kind of international law discourse around the world. Uh, you know, when, when we see governments like Israel and, and even the U.S. act contrary to international law. Um, and, and, and one way that they um, will try to kind of like challenge a call for accountability or, or, or challenge determination that they violated international law um, was is to try to kind of invoke some kind of like uh, blanket sort of um, rationalization for their actions uh, by saying that, oh, we're, we're not dealing, you know, we're not dealing with uh, a general population. We're not dealing with Human beings. We're dealing, you know, Israel has said on many occasions, we're dealing with animals. We're not dealing with humans, you know, um, or they, um, I'm sure they will come to the court and say that we're not dealing with ordinary humans. We're dealing with terrorists, right? Um, And, you know, and and that's kind of like the last, very often the last line of defense. Uh, for states like Israel that um, have have been, you know, perpetrators of state violence for a very, very long time. Um, I, I think it's going to be imperative that states like South Africa, who, as you said, like, you know, understand what it means to be the subjugated, colonized people, um, you know, living under apartheid and experiencing similar type of state violence. I think it's going to be very important for South Africa and allies around the world who, you know, care about international law um, to, you know, really, you know, do the job to make sure that it, Israel and their allies, the United States, don't act to undermine uh, what's going on. Because what's at stake is not just, you know, uh, the lives of Palestinians. What's at stake is the integrity of the entire international legal system. What does it mean for South Africa's African power? Uh, to be taking on 
really, essentially, Israel is is a Western power. And now you see South Africa, you see Israel scrambling in their various countries trying to convince diplomats and heads of state to to decry these allegations. What does it mean? I think, it, you know, I think it means a whole lot. Um, you know, we, as somebody who has been engaged in, um, like, international legal work for some time and, you know, has studied kind of the development of international law, you know, we see very often that, you know, in the international legal order is, you know, not really used often enough to protect, um, you know, to protect the masses, to protect the people suffering the most in the world, and, and particularly like in the global south, that these legal mechanisms are often, you know, used to reinforce and perpetuate the same systems of oppression that exist, right? Um, and especially, you know, in support of the development of capitalism, et cetera. Um, and over the years, you know, the only thing that really has maintained integrity in international law has been the actions of uh, countries like South Africa, of, of other countries in the global south who have been fighting, you know, anti-colonial struggles, right? Um, and, I, and I think that this, you know, is another historic, historic example of that happening. Um, and, you know, and I think it means a lot for the Palestinians to have a country like South Africa in their corner. Hmm. Dwight McKee, what does it say? I mean, it seems like the world, as uh, uh, Robert Petillo made this point in the last segment, and of course Robert and, and Ari, I want you all to weigh in, it's a multipolar world now. These axes of power, they're not just shifting, they're expanding, Dwight. Well, I want to address the first question you asked is, are they just power? Is it you uh, you holy? Are they power man? No, they're not power man. And you have to understand how they see themselves. They see them themselves as a people of biblical proportions. And so we see the Palestinians, but they see Philistine. We look at Netanyahu. We see a war criminal. He looks in the mirror and he sees David. And so in their mind, they are not a a people that are colonizing another people. They are people that's fulfilling prophecy that God has called them to fulfill the mandate uh, that he had given them in the Exodus. And, uh, And so in their minds, they are perfectly justified because they see themselves as a chosen people whose major role it is, is the restoration of the Israeli nation or the preparation of the coming of the Messiah. So they don't see themselves as doing anything wrong. They see themselves on assignment from God to, uh, to fulfill prophecy. To answer your other question in terms of the expansion of the world order is, the problem they're running into is that it's a a people or a designers of people who have a mandate without the power to fulfill it, and so they are dependent upon the United States. 
to help fulfill that prophecy because they need, they don't have David's swords and they're not facing uh, Goliath's uh, shield. They're facing people who have guns. And so they need bombs and bullets and airplanes, which they really don't manufacture. They have to bring, they have to get from America. Who, in some senses, the reason America co-signs that is because the Zionist Christian co-signed that notion of Israel. They see Israel also as a people that's on assignment, that's fulfilling from God. And so they buy into the philosophy. They buy into the mentality that the Zionists have a uh, God-given role to take back this land as the so that the, the Messiah uh, can come back and the temple can be rebuilt and the rest, uh, restoration of Israel will be functional. The problem is that the rest of the, the, the world has not bought into that. And the rest of the world has gotten further and further away from the power center of the United States that they had been dependent upon after World War II uh, for substance and for the dollar and to trade and to negotiate. And they put together a counter-economy and they're not dependent upon the United States. And so now they are, they got a counter-momentum going that runs against Israel uh, and the United States. And that's what we're trying to cope with. Well, Susanna Daly, I mean, and I think that is the buzzsaw that Israel did not expect to be running up against. I mean, you see them scrambling now to to get these countries where they still have embassies to, to support them. And more and more of these countries are pushing back. Because there's a whole new economic and social and cultural and political world order that is taking place right underneath our feet. Attalia Daly. Yeah, I I agree with that. I I think um, the point that you're making about the growing multipolar world and um, the nations we see coming together to um, move away from the, the influence of Western hege- hege- hegemony has both, you know, um, Israel and the United States concerns, right? And Israel, you know, they, they have an, an army of young people who really are, you know, have developed and exist, existed, um, you know, really through, you know, within um, like a very fascist society. And, you know, fighting against the people who are really, um, you know, fighting for their own survival, they're not winning. They're, Israel's, Israel's not, is, is losing in Gaza, right? And, and I think that that might be what's behind, you know, their um, increasing aggression in, in other parts of the region, because I think that they might be wanting to expand the war. Um, you know, You know, the United States has its own interest in this as well, because, you know, Israel has been functioning as kind of an outpost of, of uh, U.S. imperialism in the region for a long time, and the region is strategically very important for the United States, right? Um, and, you know, for that reason, they have been shamefully, you know, supporting this, 
this genocide and, and, and you know, Biden and, and his administration themselves are, are facing a case um, in, in the United States that was filed by the Center for Constitutional Rights and also one of our NLG attorneys uh, for aiding and abetting, uh, you know, this, this genocide. Um, so, yes, I, I think that, you know, that has a lot to do with it. I, I think that, like, this has been global in nature from the beginning, and it will, and it will be global in nature going forward. Well, let's talk about it with Professor John Quigley, one of the top international lawyers and scholars. He's going to talk about the challenges facing this case, but he is also going to tell us, Attorney Adele, why they believe South Africa and the Palestinian people can win. Back with more people, with people alive. Goodness gracious, send to the San Peter Jackson Show. Hope you'll be at the Peace Summit, everybody. It is going to be something special. Starting on Friday, Cornell West will be speaking there Friday afternoon. Senator Nina Turner will be there. James Zogby, if not now, Jewish Voice for Peace, Cold Pink. I mean, everybody's coming in, and you don't want to miss it. Uh, you don't want to miss it. And go to 930 50th Street. Just come on over on Friday morning. And Look, you can attend it virtually, but there's nothing like being in person. There's nothing like having community with people, and that is exactly what we're going to do Friday and Saturday. You don't want to miss the Peace Summit and the MLK Breakfast, everybody. Rainbow Push through the Push Excel program has been sending thousands of children, young people, to school, getting them jobs, uh, to college. We need your support to make that happen. We only have a few tickets left, so call 773-FREEDOM, 773-FREEDOM, so that you can get that ticket and send someone to college today. Let's talk with Professor John Quigley about this case for genocide against Israel, brought by South Africa, back in just a minute. Change the world. This is the Santita Jackson Show. everybody. Welcome back to the Santita Jackson Show, WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station and AM 950 radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota. Let us talk about peace in the Middle East. We have a peace summit coming up on Friday and Saturday at Rainbow Push, convened by James Zogby, Reverend Jesse Jackson, Reverend Dr. Freddie Hayes, the president and CEO of Rainbow Push, and, um, and Nina Turner will be there. And Cornell West will be there. And so many people, you should be there. And not just virtually, you should be there in person. We need to be in community because 11% of our congresspersons have signed on to call for a ceasefire. More than 60% of Americans are demanding it, while the Biden administration has done an end run around Congress at least twice to send munitions to Israel that Americans don't want to have go there. Something is going on here. And now South Africa, this emerging world power, has gone to, they have gone forward and they've put together a comprehensive case charging Israel with genocide. Will they be successful when they go before the ICJ? Let's talk about it with internationally renowned uh, legal scholar, international lawyer, Professor John Quigley of Ohio State University, Aaron Niederman from the... Uh, from If Not Now and the Poor People's Campaign, doing so much great work. We've been working with him so closely over the past few months. Of course, Ari Bloomcatch from In These Times Magazine, the executive editor, Dwight McKee, uh, Rainbow Push, uh, 
advisor to Cornell West and the National Action Network, and attorney Robert Patillo, Rainbow Push, and WAOK uh, Radio in Atlanta, 1 to 4 p.m. every Sunday. You don't want to miss his show. Let me start with you in less than a minute. What does this case mean, attorney Robert Patillo, this charging Israel with genocide? Well, I, I think that more so than anything else, it's a symbolic move to show uh, that the world's eyes are on Israel, that the world sees exactly what is taking place, and that we recognize uh, the humanity of the people of the of the Palestinian people in Gaza who have been living in a condition of uh, essentially being an open-air prison uh, for nearly a generation. Uh, we've seen internationally for uh, decades now that the only story that has ever come out has been the uh, the Israeli side of the story. Uh, when it comes to the question of terrorism, when it comes to the question of humanitarian aid, uh, when it comes to the question of the right to exist, and because of this, there's been very little attention paid to the lives of the Palestinian people. Today, because of social media, because of alternative media outlets, uh, because of no longer simply having to rely on CNN and the major networks, but being able to go to the Telegram channels, uh, WhatsApp groups, and, and other means of social media, we've been able to see directly exactly what is taking place, the tens of thousands of people who have died, the uh, uh, the nearly 5,000 children who have been killed, the strikes uh, that have destroyed uh, houses and refugee camps and hospitals. Uh, and there was, uh, I was on press TV in Iran a couple weeks ago, and there was a video of a little boy who was probably only five or six years old, uh, whose father had just been killed uh, in an airstrike. And they asked the boy, and he said, well, my father was killed by the IDF, uh, this week, my grandfather was killed by the IDF in 2005. Uh, my great-grandfather was killed by the IDF in the 1980s. What exactly do they expect to be the long-term outcome of that? Do you think that boy's going to grow up to be a baker or a cab driver, or will he grow up to fight for Palestinian independence? And this... Uh, uh, accusation of war crimes uh, sets the stage on the international community for a real confrontation as to what the international tribunals mean and if they have the power to actually change state action. So I think this is a very significant step. Anna Daly, uh, president of the National Lawyers Guild, why this global coalition at this time? Is it needed? Yeah, it, it's absolutely needed because I, I think that you know, uh, as somebody had been saying earlier, you know, the, these international legal forums, I mean, despite the fact that South Africa has laid out an outstandingly strong um, legal argument, very well documented that, like, you know, in any real sort of uh, legal institution with integrity w would rule that what is taking place is a violation of the Genocide Convention. But we know that these forums are very political, right? Um, and so, you know, even if there is a positive uh, determination, you know, there, there's still also um, issues with enforcement of such opinions, but there's also a really good chance that these efforts will be sabotaged. So I think throughout you know, um, from, you know, before even the filing to uh, the current period leading up to the filing and, and after, um, what's going to be imperative is, like, political pressure uh, that is put on, you know, the ICJ, on, on governments around the world, 
um, you know, from human rights organizations, from anti-war organizations, from civil society, from popular movements, from trade unions, to say exactly what my colleague just said, that, like, the, the eyes are on Israel and they cannot continue to act uh, with impunity uh, when we see them basically decimating an entire civilian population. Mm. Pretty quickly. Um uh, uh, Ari, I'm going to come to you, and Dwight McKee, I'm going to come to you and, uh, shortly. But let me ask you, Aaron Niederman, uh, why is there a need for a global coalition, a global coalition to stop this genocide in Palestine? Some people have been arguing that this is not a genocide. Some people have even been saying that this was not a war. Quite um, forcefully, Ari, on this this show said last week, you're right, this, no, this is not a war. Wars uh, take place between opposing armies. This is a genocide. Aaron Niederman. Hi, Santita. Good morning, and thank you for having me on the show today. I think it's a great question that you're asking here, why it's so important to have a, a global coalition. And I think the first thing that comes to mind for me is, you know, we've seen mass support for the Palestinian people in, uh, you know, defending themselves against this impeding and um, uh, ensuing genocide. And yet we have yet to see some of the most powerful mechanisms to actually intervene, be deployed. And I think this is one of the most potentially powerful ones that could be used. And that's why I'm really um, happy to hear about this incredible work by Attorney Adelie and the rest of the people um, involved in the International Coalition to Stop Genocide in Palestine, because I think that it's this great merging of, you know, using the power of the ICJ, but then also all the civil society groups being able to put their full weight behind what will hopefully be um, a decision, you know, confirming what, we, what we've seen that this is, in fact, a genocide happening in Palestine. Um, and I know that we've been talking a little bit earlier on the show about the ways in which uh, Israel is trying to discredit um, th these claims already and, um, you know, kind of set the stage for this being a political fight rather than one based on the merits of the actual decision. But uh, I'm, uh, I'm hopeful, um, especially to see so many organizations, you know, the Jewish organizations, well, I can speak for there's many so far that have signed on. Um, supporting this, uh, you know, this declaration of intervention led by the Coalition to Stop Genocide in Palestine. Well, you know, we welcome back to the show. Thank you so much, Aaron Niederman, if not now. Uh, Professor Emeritus of International Law at Ohio State University, he has books that include The Statehood of Palestine, International Law in the Middle East, is from Cambridge University Press, The Ruses for War, American Interventionism Since World War II. Um, and I want to know the ruses for war. What are we looking at here? What are we looking at here, Professor, quickly? I mean, South Africa filed this application instituting these proceedings against Israel before the International Court of Justice. Some people are saying that hmm, uh, this may or may not work. Others are saying, no, it could absolutely work. You've got a global coalition coming together, pushing to ensure that it will work. You now have Israel pushing in various countries where they are trying to get international dip diplomats and indeed heads of state to push back against these claims, but they're going to appear before the tribunal. Wow. So, first of all, these uh, alleged violations, right, um, of Israel, uh, of its obligations under this convention on the prevention and punishment of a crime of genocide, is this 
is does this charge do these charges filed by South Africa do they have any basis and can they be can they be successfully prosecuted? Well, they definitely have a basis. Um, I, the Genocide Convention is widely misunderstood uh, as something that requires you to, you know, kill on the scale that, that happened during the Second World War. But the Genocide Convention was uh, drafted on the uh, uh, concept that it was important to prevent that kind of mass killing that happened during the Second World War to prevent that at a very early stage. Uh, and, and that is why it was drafted uh, to make it genocide when you are at the very beginning stage of some action that is aimed at the destruction uh, of a people. Uh, and that makes it a very easy uh, case in terms of what, is being done now by Israel in in, in Gaza. Uh, so I think the court will not have much difficulty um, in in saying within a, a couple of weeks um, that there is a plausible case that genocide is being committed by Israel. What is genocide? We know genos. We know sides. You know we we understand. I guess, you know, the etymology of this genos, Greek, family, race, side, Latin, killing. But what, what is this and why did it come into, really into, I guess, popular acceptance in the post-World, post-Second World War era? Well, it's defined in the Genocide Convention as inflicting on a population group uh, conditions of life that are calculated to bring about the destruction of that population, uh, at least in part. It doesn't have to be the entirety, but at least in part. Uh, and if you think about the evacuation order from northern Gaza that was issued on the 13th of October of last year, uh, it, it precisely fits that definition. Uh, that order was to a, a population of a million people to get up and start walking to go somewhere else uh, under circumstances where there was very little way that that population could sustain itself. The World Health Organization, when that order was issued by the IDF, uh, said that it was a death sentence for the population of northern Gaza. Uh, so what is going on now uh, is precisely what is contemplated in the Genocide Convention. Mm. Professor, uh, Professor Emeritus of International Law, John Quigley from Ohio State University, about the charge of genocide, the charge of genocide that South Africa is leveling against Israel. Let's go to Fayez from Hoffman Estates. Fayez, are you still there? Yes, I am. Thank you so much for today. Yes, I am. To you, what's on your mind today, Fayez? Uh, uh, my mind, I, I'm really <laughs> confused because uh, a genocide is taking place actually at the Holocaust, the real Holocaust is taking place now. 
and who is committing this Holocaust? The inheritance of the descendant of the uh, victims of the Nazis. Now they are committing a real Holocaust more farther, farther more than what was going on in Germany. People are dying, and they're killing Gaza, actually. Gaza is dying as a place for life. Uh, Israel is violating all the norms since the creation, actually, since the creation of Israel. I lived in Gaza till the high school days, and then I went to Europe, and then I ended up here mm-hmm. seeking my dreams for good life. And now I live a nightmare mm-hmm. where I, I finance the bombs raining on my family there. I paid for the bombs, killed my niece last war. Last war, three years ago, my niece was killed by a bomb I bought for the Israeli army. I feel confused, and I detest the fact that I am a citizen of this country. When I see my president going to Tel Aviv to declare war on my family, my own family in Gaza, people are peaceful, living in their homes, and all of a sudden the home collapses on their children and women, and massacres committed by the Israeli army every day. This is a slaughter. This is... Mm -hmm a genocide committed in front of our eyes and nobody doing anything except going to the street and screaming and saying, cease fire now. What is holding him, Biden? call for a ceasefire now. Stop this Holocaust. I am very sorry to tell you that I am, I I really detest the fact that I voted for Biden. But no more. Biden is losing. Biden will never be a president again. He's losing my vote and he's losing the vote of a lot of people like me who is seeing him as a warmonger, like a terrorist in Tel Aviv called Netanyahu. He is absolutely a warmonger. And that's how I feel. And now you're talking about the genocide, international court, etc., etc. Israel violating all norms in the world since the creation of Israel. 
and it's armed by the U.S. veto and the United Nations Security Council. This is the dilemma of the world, actually. The world order is not safe for civilization even. It's serving the imperialist and the occupation and the genocide people who are committing this every day and just serving the dollar wherever it goes. I mean, look what happened in the Red Sea. Now they forming a coalition to protect the dollar going to Tel Aviv. But for three months, we called in for ceasefire to protect people. People, two and a half million, two and a half million people, innocent children and women dying every day. And even the Arab country and this Islamic world, they failed us. They failed us big time. We are Mr. Fayez, absolutely. I don't want to interrupt you. Please continue. Please continue. We are humans. We are not animals like the Israelis claim. We are not animals. They, they describe the Palestinian people as animals so they can justify the slaughter and they can justify the killing of innocent people every day. We are not animals. We let, are let me human. ask you this. Let me ask you this, because I and I say this to you as as a descendant of American slaves who were in our own founding documents described as animals, three fifths of a human being. So you can't be a full human being if you're three fifths. What do you want America to do? Help me with this. Help us with this, because we want to hear from you. We don't want to hear about you, Mr. Fayez. I only have about three or four minutes left, but I want to give them to you. What do you need for us to do to stop this slaughter? Everyone on this call knows that this is a Holocaust. We know that this is a genocide. We know this is a slaughter. We know it. What do you need for us to do? Okay, I want you to know, and the whole world should know that when you deprive a child from his family and he will be raised as an orphan, what do you expect him to do in the future? What will be his future? How are he going to look at the civilized world which respecting human human rights and uh, equal opportunities and civilizations and peace and uh, all these nice nice slogans we hear about you know now why not self-determination for the Palestinian people. You cannot eliminate 10 million people in the world. they called Palestinians. They have to have a homeland. No matter what 
the West will do, no matter what the American will do and promise to do, and they never did. I mean, self-determination, where is this, this state? Where is Oslo agreement? Where is self-determination? When, when Biden went to Tel Aviv, the first thing he said, Israel has the right to defend itself. What do you mean? Israel is occupying people, and they commit an apartheid system in there. And look at the West Bank. Look at the West Bank. They, they arrested over 8,000 people, more than what they have in their prisons now. Hold on, and Mr. They Fayez. Kill people. Yes. And and and, and the settlers are being armed to kill people. Mr. Professor, quickly, I've got two minutes left here. Can you you've heard the pain of Mr. Fayez and Mr. Fayez? I hope that you will join. You will come and join James Osby and Reverend Jesse Jackson, Reverend Dr. Freddie Haynes, and Cornell West and Senator Nina Turner and others on Friday and Saturday here in Chicago at Rainbow Push at 930 15th Street. We have people of every conceivable background coming, hundreds upon hundreds. Dwight McKee is one of the conveners. Um, hundreds upon hundreds will be there, maybe thousands. We don't know. The numbers just keep coming in every day. Professor, quickly, in the last 90 seconds, what can you say to Mr. Fayez? You hear his pain. His family's still there. <laughs> this slaughter is happening. Yes. Uh, I mean, the international court is not in and of itself going to be able to stop that. Uh, but what it will do is more than symbolic. It will be saying that this is illegal. And uh, and as Mr. Fias pointed out, it, it's being done by, by the people who, who were the victims of, of genocide uh, uh, in the Second World War. Uh, but it does require what Susan Adeli was saying, namely a, a worldwide coalition to argue uh, that the decision of the court needs to be implemented. Uh, so the, the court is not going to be able to stop the, the genocide, but it will give impetus to what is being done at the political level uh, to stop it. And stop it, too. This is an issue in 2024. Mr. Fayez, stay with us. We're going to talk a little bit more when we get off the air. Um, because yep. I hear and feel Thank your you. pain. And um, and Dwight McKay, I want you to speak directly to... I want everyone, everyone to speak to this man. I mean, this is happening to his people. But if it's happening to you, it's happening to all of us. Which is why we're here today. So stay right there, Mr. Fayez. Please stay right there. Thank Please stay right there, because I don't want you. you to get off the phone. Um, Thank you. Feeling this way, I absolutely. I we feel you. 